Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. Well, good morning. Redemption Hill. I am Bob. I'm one of the elders of our community. Yeah, the uh, the Drummer Aquarium is kind of throwing me off a little bit too. I've just been sitting here thinking of of things we can do. Like I am going to get a little bottle of fish flakes and just set them next to it, and then maybe a sign: "Please do not tap on the glass." Uh, if anyone has a fog machine, a smoke machine, let me know. Because some week I would love to set that up in that little room in the back and just run a hose into this thing and then just trigger it halfway through as it just fills up to the top with smoke. Anyway, this morning we are starting a new series on the book of 1 John. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and find 1 John way towards the back. While you do that, I wanted to start us off this morning with a question. And that is, who's the most famous person that you have ever encountered out in the wild? You know, you're doing your thing and you turn around and Meryl Streep is serving you coffee. That happened to a friend of mine. She, she, own, she owns a coffee shop uh, in Vail or somewhere, somewhere in Colorado. And sometimes she's just in there making up coffee. So, yeah, how about you guys? Who's the most famous person you've ever encountered? out in the wild. When I graduated from seminary, my mom decided to take me to San Francisco to celebrate. We had a great time, but to be honest, my mom had a much greater time than I did. Uh, On our last night there, she took me out to dinner at a very nice place, but first we stopped for drinks at another very nice place, which would have been fine, but mom had significantly pre-gamed the evening at the wine reception in the hotel lobby that afternoon. So when we did get to dinner, she was feeling pretty, pretty good. Seated directly behind us at dinner, uh, another couple was there eating, and the gentleman, he was an African-American fellow, and he had a fairly deep voice that carried very well. And that wouldn't have been a problem, but mom, as I said, was feeling pretty, pretty good. And she got into her head that this gentleman was actually Barry White, uh, the famous singer. And I tried to tell her, Mom, that's not Barry White. That guy is beanpole skinny, and he's talking about his car dealership. But every few moments, it was, it was like, it was like uh, she had that uh, Dory disease, you know, from Finding Nemo. Every few minutes, she'd just go, that's Barry White. <laughs> I'd say, no, Mom, that's not Barry White. We, we had some other adventures that night, including my mom almost falling off a bar that she was dancing on. But those are stories for another time. I tell you that mainly to explain that the next morning, uh, she was feeling pretty, pretty bad. 
And we were sitting at the San Francisco airport waiting for our flight back to Portland. And I had to go to the counter for some reason. And as I was standing there, I looked back and I noticed that someone had come and sat down right next to my mom. Uh, she was completely oblivious, dealing as she was with this significant hangover. And in that state, she did not notice that the man sitting next to her was Huey Lewis. And so I'm standing there. I'm trying to get her attention. I'm like, Mom, Mom. And she's like, what? Who what? I'm just, ah, Mom, Huey Lewis. And she, she never even noticed that she was sitting right next to Huey Lewis. Uh, so first, John... I'm sure you're wondering what in the world all this has to do with 1 John. I guess we'll see. A couple things to know as we start our journey through this short New Testament book. This is, this is one of the last uh, New Testament books to be written, probably between 85 and 90. New Testament books to be written, probably in AD, and it was written by, any guesses? Anyone? John, there you go. Uh, who also wrote the Gospel of John, and at this point was the last of the original, the rest, including the Apostle Paul, had been martyred. They'd been killed because they refused to renounce their faith in Jesus, their belief that he was the Messiah, and that as John had recorded in his Gospel, that, that Jesus was God in human flesh, and though crucified by the Romans, had risen from the dead. At this point, John is an old, old man, shortly to be exiled to the island of Patmos by the Roman emperor Domitian, where he would write the last book in the Bible, Revelation. And he, he's writing this letter from the town of Ephesus, uh, first kind of to a little community of uh, disciples that he had gathered through the years, but really to everyone, to all followers of Jesus in general, to a general audience, to Christians around the world, because he wants them to know about someone he not only met, but knew intimately. He wants to tell them about Jesus. As the years had passed, more and more people began to hear the stories of all Jesus had said and done, and some odd ideas have begun to creep in. It may sound strange to, to modern ears, but at this point, few people discounted the teaching or the miracles of Jesus. What they were really struggling with at this point was his humanity. The idea had begun to spread that, yes, Jesus was a great teacher and a miracle worker, but what he wasn't was a human being, a real flesh and blood person. Today, people are more likely to say something like, yeah, Jesus was a great teacher, but he certainly wasn't God. It's his divinity that gets questioned now. But either way, John writes to help us. And what he writes is helpful because he writes from his own lived experience, not just as an eyewitness, not just as someone who met Jesus once, but as someone who lived with him, someone who traveled with him, laughed with him, cried with him. John stood at the foot of the cross as Jesus died. A couple days later, he 
beat his friend and fellow disciple Peter in a foot race to the empty tomb on Easter morning. And he saw the risen Jesus with his own two eyes and touched him with his own hands. Look at 1 John 1.1. He says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. In his gospel account, the gospel of John, John starts with the words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's playing off the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he gives Jesus the title of the word. In Greek, the language that the New Testament was written, it's logos. Logos is, in Greek philosophy, it's like the, uh, the underlying organizing principle of the universe. He says that, he's marrying these, these ideas of Greek philosophy with, with this person. He says that underlying organizing principle of the universe actually showed up. And I got, to, I got to hang out with him. And here he starts in a, in a very similar way. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, the word of life, Jesus. And another way to read this would be, um, we tell you the same thing, the same message of life that we have been telling you from the start, the things that we heard and saw we saw him with our own eyes. We touched him. Look at verses 2 and 3. He said, this one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him, and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then was revealed to us. Now, here's something interesting. John writes in some of the simplest Greek in the entire New Testament. When I was in Bible college and then later in seminary, I took Greek to learn uh, to read and translate New Testament from the original language. And do not be impressed because I can't remember any of it. But um, in both cases, we started with John. His writing is the simplest with the most basic vocabulary and yet some of the deepest concepts the idea that this simple workman from this no-place no town in a backwater Roman province is the key to life, is life itself unending, qualitatively better than what we could ever hope for on our own, all written in words so simple that even a 19-year-old dummy just picking up Greek for the first time can begin to grasp it. He repeats, we saw him. He says, we're not, we're not just talking philosophy, waxing poetic, right? Telling you something that sounds good on paper but hasn't really been lived out. He says, no, we, we talked with him. We heard his teaching. We saw how he lived. We saw the miracles. We watched him die, and then we touched his resurrected body. We saw the, the holes in his hands. He cooked us breakfast on the beach. That's a fun one. Read that in, in the, at the end of the Gospel of John. 
And he says, now we're telling you again. Why? As I mentioned before, one of the reasons why John wrote this letter was to argue against some kind of kooky ideas that had begun to go around. Some people were saying that Jesus couldn't really have suffered, couldn't really have had a body that was beaten and killed. It just, it just kind of looked like that because he was spiritual. And even at this early date, right, 85, 90 AD, these weird kind of Gnostic ideas of physical bad, spiritual good, were creeping in and messing up people's theology. And by the way, that idea of physical bad, spiritual good, is still alive and well in many Christian circles. But that's another sermon. So John writes to set them straight. And he writes for one other reason. Look at, again, verses 3 and 4. He says, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that you may fully share our joy. I'm betting that we have some folks here who actually paid attention in math class. I did not. Who knows what the transitive property is? Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of like if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Yeah, see? It's this transitive property. And John, whew, we made it through math. And John kind of does something similar here. He has an interesting order. He says, I'm writing this to you so that you can have fellowship with us. Now, there's a word that's really lost its meaning. Fellowship. Fellowship makes me think of awkward small talk over coffee in styrofoam cups and stale donuts. But that's not it, right? He, the word he uses here is this Greek word koinonia. And it's a word so rich in meaning that it doesn't really have a direct English translation. Right? I love words that don't have direct English translation. Like in Dutch, gezellig. It's kind of like cozy, but it's much richer. Or schadenfreude. In, oh, yeah. In German, you know, it's that special joy that you get when you watch someone fail. <laughs> you know? Leave it to the Germans. But the word here in Greek, koinonia, we, we translate it fellowship, but it doesn't do it justice, right? Probably the closest we have is community. Tight-knit, reciprocal, sharing life, community. John says, we're telling you all of this first so you will have that kind of community with us and with each other. And through the transitive property, with God himself, 
and Jesus, the Messiah. John was intimately connected to Jesus. And in Jesus, he found an intimate connection to the God of the universe. And he's saying through us and the community that we're calling you into, you can find that too. This is important for a number of reasons. The idea isn't that we go off as good individualized Americans and figure out what we think about life, the universe, and everything, and find God on our own, and then find some other people who have done the same and maybe form a little club and talk about it online. It's not that. No, it's that you join the community of people who have found him, and in so doing, find him yourself. You discover what they have discovered. Verse 4 again, he says, We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So what does all this mean for us here today? A couple of things. If you're here today and you're wondering, you're questioning, you're checking things out, awesome. You're in the right place. The invitation to you is not to go off and think about Jesus on your own and maybe come to some conclusions about him in some kind of philosophical vacuum. No. The invitation is to hang around with a bunch of people who claim to have had their lives changed by him and see if there's anything to it. See if this good news, this gospel that we talk about is in fact good news that changes lives, brings hope, brings joy. Or is it just a bunch of religious mumbo jumbo that really has no direct bearing on life and changes nothing? If Jesus was who he said he was and can, can deliver what he promised to deliver, well, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And the proof of religious claims like that is in the community that those claims create. If you are here today and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I hope you feel the weight of that. In the rest of this letter that we're going to work through over the next few weeks, John is going to lay out a bit of what that community of Jesus ought to look like and feel like. And in typical John fashion, he says things like, love one another. So simple to say and understand, but so hard to actually do. I myself have failed at that many times. But when I stop and think about what I'm a part of here, I mean, I know for some people that church is more of a religious duty or part of a family heritage that we interact with on holidays and special occasions or maybe something we dip into when we don't have other better plans on Sunday. But as I read the words of John here, I realize... What we are doing here started with men and women who knew Jesus, who lived with him, were taught by him, watched him live, watched him die, and then saw the empty tomb and saw the risen Christ. And that bound them together in koinonia, 
life-giving community. They told others what they had experienced and invited others into that community. And even after they died, those communities that they started were still growing, still multiplying, an unbroken chain for 2,000 years that leads directly to this room in Boise, Idaho today. If we wanted to, I could ask many of you to share stories of how Jesus has impacted your life and how communities like this have impacted your life. We could be here all day, but I'll just end with a story of my own. 20 years ago, I planted a church in Portland, Oregon. 20 years ago, I was a younger man, married less than two years with a baby on the way. And so the community we planted ended up being filled with people in their 20s and 30s. I have done a lot of weddings and very few funerals. I've done four funerals to be exact. And three of those were for children. Two separate couples lost a child tragically in our community, not too far apart from each other. And while both of those couples were devastated and struggled, one of the couples kind of withdrew from community while the other remained engaged. And while both couples struggled with faith and with God because of what had happened, the first never really recovered that sense of faith in God's presence while the second couple did. And I'll never forget that Sunday where that second couple stood up and thanked us all as a community for journeying with them through the hardest time in their life. What they said was, when we couldn't have faith, you all held faith for us and carried us along until we could pick it up again. Two couples, same tragedy, different outcomes. Because of Jesus and the community that knowing him creates. I just got to do four verses this morning. Just a little intro to 1 John. So I don't get to go into the real deep stuff. When John says, we knew him, we want to tell you about him. Because in him is life. And in the community that he creates, there's something worth engaging in. I know what he's talking about. I'm going to invite the band to come. And this morning we're going to come to the table. This is the table that Jesus the table that Jesus sets for us, invites us to. 
this morning I kind of pulled them out a little bit because I want to ask you guys, as you, as you come this morning, sometimes we have a tendency. We, we call this different words, Eucharist, Thanksgiving, uh, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. My favorite is just communion because it's something we do together. It's the thing that binds us together as we all take the symbols of the body and blood of Jesus. We recognize that whatever else may separate us, this is what binds us together. As we come this morning, everyone's welcome. If you're someone who wants what Jesus is offering, wants to experience the community that he is creating, this table is for you. And all I'm going to ask is that we not come as individuals and take the elements and take them away, but that we would gather around the tables and we would do this together. You know, if you come up and there's four or five people, do it together. If you come up and there's 10 people, do it together. If you come up, you're the only one standing there, wait a minute. Somebody else will be along, unless you're the very last person, in which case, maybe I'll come to it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, in this journey through 1 John, as we hear these words of someone who knew you, who loved you, as he begins to tell us, how you changed everything. God, may we take these words seriously. Jesus, you died to create this community. May we take that seriously. As we come to this table, in gratitude and worship for all you have done. God, may we do this, not just seriously, but with joy. Let's sing in this worship. Come as you will. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.